Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to this week's episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I'm super excited that you're joining us because today we're sitting down with Mark Batterson, New York Times bestselling author and the lead pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C. Mark has a new book entitled Play the Man, Becoming the Man God Created You to Be. And this is a fantastic book where he explores the seven virtues of manhood and looks at how fathers can disciple their sons. In today's episode, Mark offers some great insights about the biblical understanding of manhood, including some ways that church leaders can address some of the confusion men and boys might be experiencing around their roles, responsibilities, and relationships. So I invite you to sit back and enjoy as you listen in to my conversation with Mark Batterson. It's so good to have you with us, Mark. We certainly appreciate you taking the time to share with us. Excited about this new book that that uh, you have written, Play the Man, Becoming the Man God Created You to Be. And that's available May 2017 in bookstores everywhere and uh, has some really, really great things in there as I've been reading through it, some some fantastic things. I'm just curious, who is this book really written for, Mark? Well, this is, uh, this is a book for men, Jason. <laughs> and uh, I make no apologies for that. You know, I've, I've, uh, this is my 15th book and all the other ones would be for uh, men and women equally. But uh, this is a book that's been in my heart for about eight years and uh, wanted to wait until I had a little bit more uh, fathering and husbanding under my belt. But uh, this one goes right after guys and uh, super excited to see how God's going to use it. Very cool. Now, as we look at the book, the first half of the book focuses on uh, what you call playing the man. And the second half focuses on making the man. Can you kind of explain those two phrases and how you came came to those? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wanted to write a book that any man could pick up, and that would include young men. I mean, I think uh, 15, 16, you know, uh, younger men can pick it up, as well as grandfathers. So the first half of the book, I talk about seven virtues of manhood, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. And then the, the second part of the book uh, is specifically for fathers. And listen, I, I would say to men who aren't dads yet, or even grandfathers, th- this can actually be useful uh, to you as well, because I think uh, it's for spiritual fathers as well as uh, biological fathers. But uh, really the heartbeat behind the book is uh, I wanted to create some tools and resources to help dads disciple their sons. You know, Jason, since uh, the, the audience of this podcast, it's my tribe, you know, it's leaders, it's pastors. I, I would say this out of the gate that, uh, listen, thank God for youth pastors, but it's not their job to disciple my kids. That's my job as a father. And so uh, thankful for the tag team. Uh, don't get me wrong, but uh, I really want to equip fathers to disciple their children. And when we do that as fathers, I think that's the game changer. Definitely. And, and I think that's key what you bring up, Mark, because oftentimes as, as a minister myself, I, I started as a youth pastor before becoming a lead pastor. And and oftentimes you'd see this, it was almost as if when it came to spiritual matters, parents oftentimes think, uh, you know, that's kind of the church's job. You know, that's why we have pastors, that's why we have youth pastors. 
Um, but really, this book, as you've said, is is written to help equip fathers as they seek to raise their their sons into becoming the men that God created them to be. And, and I think that both and is, is so very important, and we can't just let the church, you know, give it over to the church and and um, expect them to, to get everything right, because as we know, you know, the church is made up of people, and, and we do our best to honor God, but but really it's a parental duty to help raise spiritually strong children who become uh, men and women. So I love the fact that you kind of tackle that head on. And as, as we look at these um, seven virtues of manhood, I'm just going to read through the list of, of what you have in the book here. You have tough love, childlike wonder, willpower, raw passion, true grit, clear vision, and moral courage. Now, Mark, how did you come to, to these seven virtues as being kind of key? Well, I, I didn't get them on Mount Sinai, Jason, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but th- this, is, uh, this is based on, you know, I, I've been married for 24 years. Uh, we have three children, 21, 19, and 15. And uh, based on my experience, these seven come pretty close uh, to seven rings of a bullseye, if you will. And, uh, you know, I think all of these virtues are biblical. And let me just say this. I I think women uh, need tough love, need moral courage. So it's not like they're exclusive to men. But I I felt like these seven virtues are key uh, in helping men become men of God. And uh, and in helping husbands love their their wives as Christ loves the church and and uh, and to help fathers really step into the role and responsibility that God's given them. And so, uh, you know, there could have been eight, there could have been six. But, hey, let's start with these seven. And I'll tell you this, if we begin to get these seven virtues under our belt, it's going to impact the families that we lead for sure without a doubt as, as we look at this list. And, and of these seven, in your opinion, which of these seven do you think is probably most challenging for men to well, kind of hold on to? You know, I start with tough love because uh, I think our culture has a misconstrued idea of what love is. You know, it's not a feeling. It's not a, a sentiment. I, I define tough love as letting seven-inch spikes go through your hands and your feet. I mean, it's willing to sacrifice your life for someone else. Jesus sets the example. I mean, he, he is the ultimate tough guy, if you will. And so I, I think it's loving people when they least expect it and least deserve it. And that's not easy, but, but that's tough love. And I, I think it starts there for men. Uh, and then moral courage at the end kind of ties everything in a knot. Um, because it takes courage to exercise all of these virtues. I would say that probably the clear vision piece, Jason, is where we really fall short. You know, most pastors have more vision for their church than they do for their family. Let's wow. be honest. Right, right. And, and so I, the Lord really convicted me. And so I came up with a code of arms. I share some of that in the book about our four family values, courage, generosity, gratitude, and humility. You've got to do the hard work of of identifying the vision God's given you. And so, um, you know, a lot of practical stories, 
and I think practical applications to hopefully uh, help men with these seven virtues. And uh, and then, Jason, it might be worth mentioning that uh, we've got resources for churches as well. Uh, so th this book also has a, a DVD series because my prayer is that it wouldn't just be a guy here and a guy there. Come on, we need men's ministries. We need small groups of men encouraging each other, kind of as a band of brothers. And so uh, my hope and prayer is that the resources in this book would really help men move forward together because uh, iron sharpens iron, and uh, this is not a solo sport. Yeah, with, without a doubt. And when we're thinking about uh, men kind of addressing this issue, and, and I love the idea of guys coming together because – like you said, iron sharpens iron. Uh, you know, we need to almost have that accountability and that encouragement from one another as, as we kind of move forward in this. But why do you think that men have some uncertainty or maybe some confusion around this idea of learning how to really be a man? Well, I, I think it's I think it's twofold, Jason. I think one. I'm not sure that we have a great biblical understanding of what it means to be a man. But here's the reality. God created us male and female for a reason. And I think those differences ought to be celebrated. But we live in a culture where uh, there's almost a, uh, a blurring of the line or a little bit of confusion. And I get that. I mean, I don't think, you know, I have a little bit of fun in the beginning of the book. You know, I don't, I don't think you have to... Uh, kill a bear or, or uh, sleep inside a, a dead horse like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> and the Revenant, okay? I mean, this is not that. Uh, man skills are a different deal. That's cultural stuff. What I'm getting at is um, what does it mean to be a man of God? And your role as a husband and a father, come on, that's a huge uh, spiritual responsibility and role so let's figure out what that means, what that looks like. And, you know, to sum it up for me at the end of the day, Jason, I, I want to be famous in my home. Mm. And uh, to me, success is when those who know you best respect you most. And uh, and that's your wife and your kids. And so that's really the heartbeat. And uh, and I, I try to kind of come at some of the cultural confusion and hopefully give a little bit of clarity. At the end of the day, Jesus is is the archetype i mean he he's the man's man and uh and so we got to keep going back to the example that he set uh in all of these you know no one had more grit uh you know uh no one had more passion no one had more vision no one had more courage no one was more loving jesus sets the bar for each of these seven virtues yeah yeah that's good and i, I think we do have this push and pull um when it comes to kind of culture and, and what's kind of accepted as being a man's man in society. And then uh, the image that we often have of, of Jesus. You know, you, you refer to Luke 9.23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up your cross and follow me. As we look at that, you know, we, we think of oftentimes there's a picture painted of Jesus of being, you know, the gentle shepherd, which I think is, is important to understand. And yet, there's also kind of this, as, as you were talking about, this kind of grit of, of Jesus. Can you kind of um, talk a little bit about what that looks like and how maybe we, even in the church, maybe we've missed the mark a little bit in helping people truly understand Jesus 
um, and kind of the, the, the manhood of Jesus and what that example sets for men today. Yeah. And, you know, part of it is the, the physical piece. Uh, I make no apologies for that. Listen, if you if you carry a Roman cross, even if it's just the crossbar uh, down the Via Della Rosa, 650 yards after having been beaten and flogged, that takes some physical strength. There was a a physical toughness and a mental toughness uh, to the person of Jesus. I, I think what's happened is this, that um and I talk about this in the big beginning of the book that I think there's this principle called rewilding. It's an ecological term. And uh, and I'll just we'll just tease listeners with that idea a little bit. But I, I believe there has to be a rewilding that happens. I, I think um, let, let me put it this way. If a church doesn't have enough vision, I'll tell you what happens. This is my theory. We create problems to keep us busy. You need a vision that's big enough to consume your time and energy and effort. In the same sense, I think if men don't have a, a big vision, if they aren't consumed with God's calling on their life, then we just have sideways energy uh, all over the place. And, and we kind of um, uh, spin our wheels, so to speak. And so w- what I'm calling for is just a a holy use of testosterone. Listen, testosterone is a gift from God, but if you don't channel it the right way, the blessing becomes a curse. And so what I'm saying is we, we've got to make sure that we're expending our energies uh, for the Father's business. And when we do that, then, man, we don't really have the leftover time and energy to uh, create the problems that we would probably have otherwise. And so, listen, that's me shooting from the hip, but that's, uh, I think that's my take on it. Yeah. So would you say that the, the church, um, has, has somehow played a role in the, the confusion of, or the uncertainty maybe uh, of what it means to be a man? I mean, has Christianity made men too safe? Well, I, I, you know, Jesus didn't die to keep us safe, died to make us dangerous. No question about that. Uh, I, I think we've probably uh, maybe tried to, to tame people in the name of Christ because uh, it's safer, it's easier. But that's not what I read in the Gospels. And, and by the way, I think we, we misread the Gospels when we take some of the geography uh, out of the mix. Um you know, just just look at it for face value. I mean, Jesus basically spent three years uh, hiking, camping, and fishing with 12 guys. Now, along the way, some parables, uh, some miracles, but there was a certain nature to that relationship. And, and it's no coincidence that the, the transfiguration happened on a high mountain. That's what the Gospels say. It's a high mountain. Well, they had, how did they get there? They climbed. Um, I think what I would love to see is us uh, integrating a little bit of physicality back into our spirituality. And I know I have to be careful right here, Jason, because I don't want that to be taken out of context. You know, I, I don't think, uh, I, I think real men cry too. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. So I think we need more physicality. We also need more emotional vulnerability. And I think what I try to do is push the envelope a little bit uh, in those different areas for us to examine ourselves and really kind of discern how we can um, become more like Jesus in the process. 
Yeah, that's that's powerful, Mark. And and uh, really, really, I think what you touch on right there is something that that uh, oftentimes you struggle with in that we kind of tend to fall, you know, all to one direction or all to another. Like it, it's either like this real tough, big man, manly, manly thing. Or, you know, maybe it's this, hey, well, we need to be more sensitive. And so rather than looking for that balance and understanding what that what that means is it's played out in a man's life and the importance of that that balance. I mean, we think of I mean, as husbands, we think of, you know, the importance of not only leading well for your your family, your wife, but also the sensitivity we must have in, in, in working with our wives and loving our wives just as Christ loved the church. I think sometimes we just get caught up in maybe one area as opposed to looking for that balance. So it really looks like these seven different virtues that you share really help strike that balance uh, as to what it does it mean to fully live as uh, a man who's seeking to honor Christ with his life. Would you say that that balance is pretty key in this? Yeah, and I, and I think what guys will discover as they read this book is that um, there are a couple of these virtues that, hey, we better go to work. We better get in the workshop on, you know, tough love or, or raw passion or true grit or, you know, and others that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm pretty strong in this area. It's almost like it's a it's an assessment that uh, but we've got to step up in all seven of these areas. And so, you know, that that's the heart behind the, the first half of the book, Play the Man. And uh, by the way, I, I don't even think we we mentioned the uh, what's behind the title, the story, did we? No, no. Let, let's let's hear that. Well, that, that might be a good little, uh, it's a piece of church history that's pretty amazing. Um, uh, Polycarp, uh, the Bishop of Smyrna, was martyred for his faith. is around 155 AD. He was actually discipled by, by the Apostle John. So when they bring him into the Colosseum, Jason, um, they ask him to recant of his faith, and he won't do it. He said, uh, 86 years have I served him. And never has he done me any wrong. How could I blaspheme my Savior now? And so he kind of courageously um, will not recant his faith. And he hears a voice from heaven. It says, be strong, Polycarp. Play the man. And uh, it's this incredible moment that's historically documented. You'll find it in Fox's Book of Martyrs. And so I tell that story at the beginning of the book and, of course, make the point that we don't have to be martyred for our faith to play the man. Uh, I think it more it looks more like uh, uh, taking up our cross and, and following Christ every day, and it looks like these seven virtues. And so that's kind of the first half of the book. And then, uh, of course, in the second half, we transition and talk about making the man. And in that second half, it's, it really focuses on really discipleship. I mean, you, you talk about how you, as a father— discipled your your sons i sure do and, and this is what i'm i'm so excited about so let, let me just put this out there I, I was in a i was speaking to a group of men not long ago probably 500 guys mm-hmm. and uh i asked them how many had been discipled intentionally by their father three hands went up that means 497 guys aren't really sure how to do it for their sons because their fathers didn't do it for them Jason, this is where I pray this book kind of steps in the gap, and uh, I include the discipleship covenant that I created for my sons when they turned 12, and and I even talk about the timing issue. It doesn't have to be when they're 12, but that's when I did it, and uh, and I took them through a year of discipleship. Uh, they they committed to a physical, intellectual, and spiritual challenge, which I 
you know, document quite a bit in the book. And then the whole experience ended with a rite of passage that uh, were pretty amazing experiences. And then finally a ceremony uh, on their 13th birthday to kind of top things off. And so if you want, we could dive into that a little bit. But I think that's where, um, well, one of my prayers is to help a million dads disciple their sons. And uh, I think the way that I'm trying to do that is by giving them a template uh, that they can take and hopefully uh, adopt and adapt and use with uh, with their own sons. Yeah, that, that that's good. That's powerful. And so you took your boys through one one year, and it involved a discipling process, you say, that was kind of um, holistic in a way. So it was yeah. physical, spiritual, kind of emotional, intellectual, working through kind of what it what it means to be moving into this this manhood in a, in a way so it's yep. almost this rite of passage that you yeah. you brought them through yeah you know it's almost like a, a jewish bar mitzvah there was this kind of rite of ceremony or rite of passage and, and that's that's lacking in our culture you know uh i think we think of the driver's license or maybe the voting age or uh, unfortunately the drinking age you know those are our rites of passage but come on, we can do better than that. You know, John Muir, and I share a lot of stories in the book about some men that I admire. Uh, John Muir would be one of them. And uh, he talks about the need for a third baptism. And it's almost a baptism into manhood. And so that's kind of what I outline. And uh, those three challenges, um, you know, the physical, it, it was, uh, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I wanted my boys to, uh, to understand that. And uh, with my oldest son, I ran a triathlon with him, and we trained for it. It was incredibly bonding. And then the intellectual covenant, I believe leaders are readers, and so I assigned them 12 books, and then we would talk through them. And then the spiritual covenant would uh, would be reading and talking through Scripture and, and teaching them spiritual disciplines and, and beginning to lay a foundation in their life. And so that's what we did uh, over the year. Uh, we did father-son meetings to kind of carry on those conversations and then if they fulfilled that that covenant then it ended uh with some amazing rite of passage i don't know do we have time for me to share a little bit about one of those yeah definitely okay so my oldest son we actually uh finished the year by hiking the grand canyon rim to rim uh but by the way I wouldn't recommend doing it in July because the temperature was 110 in the shade. Jason, I lost 13 pounds in two days. Wow. It was uh, it was intense. But I tell you what, a boy went into the canyon and a young man came out the other side. Uh, it was this incredible experience. And I talk about in the book kind of how to plan that and how to tap into what your son might want to do. But I'll tell you what, that's a memory you can't take away uh, from my son and I. And so you kind of end it with this epic rite of passage. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it can be cost effective. It doesn't have to be a, an expensive thing. But, uh, you know, it's the time and the intentionality to me that's going to it's going to come across to your son. You won't be perfect, but they'll know uh, that you gave them your best effort. And I think that's what I'm calling men to. Uh, to really step up, step in, and uh, take this role and responsibility as a dad seriously. Don't just be a father. Be a spiritual father. And, uh, and hopefully there's some helpful tools 
and tips and uh, even a few FAQs uh, in the book to, to help dads get started. Excellent. Now, imagine there, there are probably some people listening right now who, you know, their, their children are beyond 12, maybe even out of the house at this point. And they look yep. back and they're saying, I, I was never that intentional. You know, and they, yep. they, they might be struggling with some feelings of even failure or, or saying, man, this is awesome, Mark, what you've done yep. for your boys. You know, yep. why didn't I do that? What what would you say to them at this point? Yep. You know, anytime I talk on this topic, Jason, I, I try to, number one, uh, be the first person to confess that I fall short and uh, I've made my fair share of mistakes. Um, so I, I do not want to come across as perfect. And I try to share some of the mistakes I made in the book. Uh, but let me say this. God gives us a second chance and it's called being a grandparent. Uh, we get another go at this thing. And so even if you feel like you failed at a parent, I would say, number one, you're always a parent. I, I don't care if you're in your 80s and your kids are in their 60s. They're still your children. And so you're still a father. Um, and, and so it's not too late to do this. Um, and it might look different, but but maybe it's doing something for your grandchildren that you wish you had done for your children. So it is never too late um, to, to step up and, and be more intentional uh, as a father or perhaps in this case uh, as a grandfather. Yeah, that's that, that's good and that's encouraging um, for those who, who might, you know, kids been out of the house now and they're thinking, well, how can I contribute in this way? So that, that's a good focus for them. A lot of our audience, obviously, church leaders and pastors. Mark, let's say that you and a pastor friend sitting down over a cup of coffee and the pastor is, you know, a regular pastor leading an average church. And your friend asks, what can I do as a pastor to help men become men? Not, not theoretically, but just practical ideas that as a pastor, I can begin implementing. How yeah. would you respond? I, you know, Jason, the first thing I would say is um, don't focus on being a pastor. Focus on you being a man of God and you growing in these seven virtues. Set an example for the congregation to follow and then prioritize your family um, and do it in a way that your congregation is aware that they're second, um, that, that your family comes before ministry. Uh, and then the, the second thing I would say is imagine all the men in your church um, stepping up as husbands and fathers. Can you imagine the sea change that that would cause in the culture of your church? But what if every dad at the church that, that you pastor, what if every dad said, you know what, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to try to disciple my children unbelievable the kind of impact generational impact that could have and so what I'm praying for what I'm dreaming of is churches where uh, 8 10 12 guys become a band of brothers and say hey let's go after these seven virtues together and then let's covenant with each other um, to try to disciple our sons or or imagine a men's ministry with uh, 50 guys or 100 guys or 500 guys saying, hey, we're, we're going to take this serious. We're, we're going to be men of God. And uh, and then we're going to disciple the next generation. I'll tell you what, that will turn a church upside down. And I think that's the thing that uh, I believe is the harbinger of revival. It starts in the heart, starts in the home. And that's why Malachi, last verse of the Old Testament, um, 
the father's hearts turning to the children and then the children's heart turning to the fathers. That's where revival begins. And uh, that's where we begin to, I believe, have uh, the kind of impact that a, that a great awakening had uh, on our country. Man, that is so good, brother. Uh, that is so good, so encouraging, such a, such a vision to cast. And, and really, you know, very, very practical way to approach revival and seeing that sweep across not only our churches, but across, across the nation, across the world. So excited, so thankful that you could be with us, Mark. Again, um, for, for our listeners, uh, really encourage you guys to dig into this book, Play the Man, Becoming the Man God Created You to Be. It's available May 2017. And I'm so thankful that God laid this on your heart and has been working on you over the last eight years as you've been, you know, a husband, as you've been raising your kids, and um, that, uh, that God led you to, to put it on paper and share it with us. Very excited to see what God does through this book and, and how God impacts our churches, our families, and uh, ultimately our world. Hey, Jason, so grateful. Appreciate it. And could I just mention that we've got a lot of uh, free resources at playtheman.com and uh, people can get, um, you know, some tools there. In fact, the covenant, if they want to download it, uh, it's an easy place to do that. And uh, certainly just want to help dads be dads, help husbands be husbands. And uh, so thanks for the opportunity just to share a little bit about the book. Thank you so much, brother. God bless you. Hey, thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Friends, we hope that you enjoyed today's episode of the Church Leaders Podcast and that you're finding value from what we share each week. And if so, we'd appreciate you jumping over to iTunes and just taking a a few minutes to leave us a quick review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders find our podcast so they can benefit as well. Thank you in advance. We certainly appreciate it. And until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.